Hey guys, welcome and thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Free Thinking with Montel. And I'm going to call this a special edition of Free Thinking with Montel because, you know, you got me on a day that's uh, a tough one. But it's almost a blessing that I have the guest that I'm going to have on today with me today because it's it's so perfect for today. And why? Okay, let me explain why. Um, you know, about a week and a half ago, week ago, um, I, my wife, uh, got back from, you know, a trip to California and then, you know, uh, she, uh, I think I've shared this with you guys before that my wife Tara is a flight attendant. And so she had to work last Thursday and, or last Wednesday, Thursday. And I happened to be in a, in studio all day on Thursday. And so, on those occasions when one of us is not here with, you know, our pet um, and our baby, Mr. Max, uh, we normally send him to a sitter and he sits with the sitter during the day. And then as soon as either one of us gets home, we get him back immediately. And last week was no different. Um, he went to the sitter. And right before he went to the sitter, we had just come back from California on Monday and Monday night, Tuesday, he was perfectly fine. Um, Wednesday, he went to the sitter in early morning or midday and was there for Wednesday and Thursday while I was in the studio and TT was gone, but she got back Thursday morning and, um, he was perfectly fine on Monday night and Tuesday. And he has been, you know, we understand him. Max is 15 years old. So he's getting up there in age a little bit and, you know, um, but we've been so blessed having him for, for his whole 15 years. And he's, he literally is. And I know a lot of people will say the same thing. You know, their pets are part of the family. He has been a part of the family. He's like no different than me than any one of my other children. Um, uh, he, he's He's been with us everywhere we've gone in the last 15 years, with exception of maybe a few places. He barely spends time with the sitter. If we travel, we put him on the plane. He doesn't go underneath the plane. He stays on the in the in the plane with us. He he has been the perfect traveler since he was eight year, eight weeks old. He uh, was a ring bearer at our marriage. He at our wedding. Um, he um, has been with us every step. Uh, when I got sick a few years ago, I mean, he literally we couldn't bring him to the hospital, but he was right there in the hotel. Uh, while my wife slept with me in the hospital for almost 30 days, Max was there and I would hear about Max each day. So he was doing good. Um, and, you know, in the last couple of years, he's had a little, a couple of little issues. He had a, you know, a seizure issue uh, about, mm, I don't know, three to five months ago. Um, but that cleared up and he seemed to be fine. And um, in the last couple of weeks, he's been fine. And, so when he came back on the sitter on Friday, or I'm sorry, Thursday, he was, something was off. Um, he just wasn't right. And of course, the two of us wrestled with, I wonder if he ate something bad at the sitters, whether if, you know, while at, well, at the sitter he was with another doggy, and, you know, could he have possibly gotten COVID from another dog? And what I mean by he just wasn't right, he was like, just first off, he was not acting like himself at all. He was uh, extremely lethargic. Um seemed to have a little bit more 
Oh, not. I seem to have a little bit of a wheeze, and uh, we we kind of known, and I call it a wheeze, but it's like a snore. I I can't ex- describe it exactly, but you know when he exhaled, it was noticeable noise that he was making, and um, you know we know because he's a small breed dog that they have something that's called collapsing trachea as they get older, and so we thought maybe there might be something going on there. So let's get him to the vet. Got him to the vet, and then we got to the vet, and then I'm a hospital. You know, they kind of did a full exam on him, though they didn't do blood work and they didn't do an x-ray. They, at that time, on Friday, determined that he had some pain in his uh, upper shoulder and his arm and, and also something going on in his lower back and some pain there. We thought maybe it's just arthritis and we knew that he had had some issues with his shoulder before. So it was just maybe an exacerbation of that. They put him on some you know, anti-inflammatory and uh, we're going to give him some, some uh, like a steroid um, to start him on to see if they could clear that up. And then literally from Friday night on, he's gotten worse every night. So, you know, uh, Tar took him back in again and he went in to see the doctor and we decided that we definitely wanted to have blood work done and an x-ray done did that and the x-ray came back with some concern um you know the the vet who looked at him there wanted to wait to get a radiologist to do you know a thorough look at the the uh x-ray but um she initially said that she discovered a mass and that mass uh was initially diagnosed as being on his liver um, but she wanted to have a, a radiologist look at the, the x-rays to, to make sure, which was then done and confirmed that it wasn't really his liver as much as that it had literally is a mass that kind of basically has consumed his kidney and it seems to have metastasized to his liver and his, um, uh, sorry, um, another area. And, um, it was causing, you know, some fluid in his abdomen and some fluid in his uh, outside of his heart. It seems to be manifesting as, you know, um, you know, a little heart failure. And um, she gave him some more medication, and he has literally gone downhill so rapidly. It's been crazy. Um, each night, he's had a very difficult night sleeping. Um, as a matter of fact, he didn't sleep at all last night. The night before, he was barely sleeping. You know, sleep for like 10 minutes, get up, 15 minutes, get up. But last night, he wasn't having it. Um, and his breathing is very labored. And, you know, um, we know he's not doing well um, at all. Uh, and, you know, he looks at us with these eyes that kind of, you know, and we're talking to him all the time, but he's looking back at us with eyes like, you know, I love you, but, you know, I'm not, I ain't well. I mean, he takes a step, stops, two, through steps, stops. So, you know, today, that's why I say today is a tough day because, you know, as caregivers for him, we have to make a decision not for us, but for him. I mean, you know, I, I, I would love to try to go through the gamut. First off, he's too old to be operated on. And the, the vet said that they would not recommend that at all. And so what are we doing? Well, are we just trying to keep him around for us? Or are we 
being the caregivers that we should be, and that is concerned about his well-being and helping him with his journey. I mean, you know, first off, we've gotten 15 unbelievably beautiful years with him, of us loving him and him loving us back and, you know, uh, being a happy dog, being able to go everywhere in the world. And, 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 you know, um, we've, we've kept him on a really good diet and we've helped him, um, you know, with his health as much as we possibly can. But now we're at a point where we both made the decision last night that, uh, you know, and the doctor had offered up the opportunity said to us, you know, uh, that, you know, we think that, you know, you don't want to keep them around too long because, you know, and a friend of ours had said to Tara, you know, um, it's better to be a day too early than a day too late. And I agree with that 100%. Our vet then confirmed and said it's better to be a week too early than a day too late because at that point in time, all he's going to do is suffer. And we don't need him to suffer. I mean, I'm looking at, he just came in the room right now. He walked in here and he's, 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 standing still and you know he likes to sit here with me when i do my podcast and you know he's back in here now because he knows i'm doing a podcast i'm sure he knows that because he knows when daddy's sitting in the corner with this little thing in front of him that's what he's doing and um you know it breaks my heart because you know he just um it's not him it's uh it's him but i mean he's just so uh, fragile. Uh, you can see that he he's having a real hard time breathing. You know, of course, some things have changed in his, you know, he's not going to the bathroom the right way right now. And um, he's hurting. And, you know, so today it's really interesting. Last week we had an interview scheduled with our guests that we have today. Um, and unfortunately we had some internet issues and so we had to cancel it. And then it just happens to be that we were able to reschedule it for today and their internet's working. So, you know, um, this is as much for me as it is for you and for all of us for free thinking, because I think she's the perfect guest for me today. And today's guest is a certified compassion fatigue specialist through the Green Cross Academy of Traumatology, a health and wellness coach, corporate wellness specialist, and a certified life coach. She's a graduate of the State of University of State University of New York, Oswega and has over 25 years of experience within leading organizations, including Nestle, Purina, Bayer Animal Health, and Index Laboratories. She's the founder of Rekindle LLC and the host of the weekly Rekindling podcast. She develops and executes training and conducts workshops and offers one-on-one coaching with professionals in veterinary medicine, animal welfare, biotech and biomedical research, animal law enforcement, zoo, aquarium, wildlife rehabilitation, and animal rights and animal conservation. Please welcome to the show, Julie Squires. Thank you so much, Julie, for being part of the show today. Well, it is is really my honor to be here today. And you know what? Uh, um, I, I believe that this wasn't by accident that what happened last week happened and here we are today. So I'm, I'm honored to be with you at this really tender time. Uh, what you're experiencing again, I know is heartbreaking and heart wrenching and, and yeah, I have been there. I know I'm sure a lot of your listeners have been there too, but boy, oh boy, it, um, 
you know, the, the unconditional love that we feel from these animals is, is intense and it's why we adore them so much. And when they get sick and having to make a decision about euthanasia, it is so heartbreaking. So I'm feeling for you. I'm saying my wife came in, um, she's here on the other side of the screen, but, uh, you know, it's like the both of us have been the caregivers. She has been really his main caregiver. And, you know, I mean, we're talking about, you know, something that is experienced by veterinarians, by people who are researchers, laboratory researchers, you know, where they work with animals. And in some cases have to do this, uh, they have to perform euthanasia. And, um, but not only that, during the period of time leading up to that, you know, they are pouring their souls out. They're pouring their hearts out. They're giving all of themselves. Like, I mean, I, I, I can't say enough about my wife, Titi Tara, who has like literally been up for the last, really, I said last three, two days, heck with that. She's been up every day since last Friday when Max came home. I mean, maybe the first night she had 15 minutes of sleep, then she'd get up or 20 minutes of sleep, then she'd get up 20 minutes of sleep, then she'd get up. In the last couple of days, last two nights in a row, I know she has been, she slept on the floor right beside Max and she rubbed his stomach the entire time. Um, and, you know, he gets up for a second and he wants to go to his pad to go to the bathroom. And, you know, and then, you know, she's taking him there. She's taking him back. She's getting him water. She's giving him pills. She does this. And I mean, you know, like a lot of caregivers experience, there's fatigue and there's burnout. I mean, I think, and, and, let me not give the impression that because of the burnout is the reason why we're making the decision that we're making tonight. This decision is being made because, you know, it's like right now, I mean, she's holding him, you know, like a baby and, and, you know, he's not even moving, but he's breathing real hard and he's laboring with his breaths. And, you know, we can't feel what he feels inside, but, you know, the mass is big enough that it's now gone into his spleen. I'm sorry. That was a word I missed earlier. It's gone into his spleen. It's gone into his, liver is it's they can't really even see the kidney that it's wrapped around and you know i mean he's got fluid in his abdomen and we can feel that his abdomen is extended and his back is a little bowed that it hasn't been bowed in his entire life and you know he cannot be feeling well and so the decision that we're making this evening is to help him on his journey i mean you know i i don't want him to labor here and be in pain so that we can look at him, you know, while he's laying there sleeping. That's not what quality of life is that for him. But maybe you could say a few things for my wife to, you know, let her understand that, you know, fatigue and burnout from care. This has only been for set for five days that she's had to do this this way. But still, there's fatigue right now in her. I know it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, what you're experiencing, that is compassion fatigue. And what you're experiencing, what your wife is experiencing is the impact that it, that that we have on us when we are bearing witness to another's pain, struggle, and suffering. And yeah, in this conversation, we are talking about animals. Uh, in this conversation, we are talking about Max. But yeah, like that, that impacts us profoundly when we are repeatedly seeing that, like we, that is impacting us in ways that sometimes we don't even realize. And it, it's part of the, the cost, we call it the cost of caring. Yeah. Like we, we signed up as pet owners to 
in most cases, be able to see them through the end of their life. And we don't know when the end of their life is. For some animals, it's at age two. For some, it's at age 13. For some, it's at age 15, like with Max. But eventually when that end of life comes, and if it is through a disease condition, that then we see their deterioration, you know, that hurts our heart. And it can be, the impact can be mental, it can be physical, it can be psychological, it can be spiritual. That is compassion fatigue. And, you know, I mean, you got involved in this, I think, was it because of your own struggles that inspired you to want to help others? I got involved in this because, you know, I started working in veterinary medicine uh, 30 years ago. And yeah, I had my own struggles. I didn't know what to do with all of the emotions that were around me every single day. The emotions of clients coming into a veterinary hospital, putting down their most precious uh, friend, their child, their furry, you know, their furry kid. Like, I didn't know what to do with all those emotions. And guess what? Veterinary professionals, those that do it every single day, and I know you've interviewed, you had Dr. Daly on, but, um, and they're feeling it too, right? And they, they have to be able to move from one euthanasia into, you know, another exam room and to talk to a puppy owner, but they're still feeling all those emotions. I didn't know what to do with them. I didn't have any tools to be able to deal with all of my emotions, which most of us don't. Most of us don't have tools to be able to handle our emotions. We're not taught any of these things. So... I used alcohol. I used drugs. I had an eating disorder for three decades. It's like, you know, I kept using all my coping mechanisms to try to ease my suffering, ease my pain, ease my heartache. And unfortunately, you know, none of those things work. Well, they work temporarily, but those were never the solutions. The solution, unfortunately, is to feel what you're feeling right now, which is the pure, raw heartache. Like, that's the only way we get through this is to actually feel it. Right. And let us allow ourselves to feel it. I mean, yeah. it's like, you know, I, I know the two of us, both of us have been, you know, almost crying incessantly for the last two days. And, um, you know, I can't even kind of even talk about it. Even before we started this podcast, I, I'm having a hard time holding it together because, you know, um, and I didn't didn't think I would feel this way. And But at the same time, you know, it's so weird. I don't, I don't know what we could say to people like, to help them understand that, you know, when you're living your life with your pet and you're loving them to death, we got to know that their lives are not as long as ours. And, but there's no way to prepare for that. I, I just, right. uh, yeah. Well, and here's what's so funny about that though, is like, believe it or not, like we all actually go into pet ownership. At least if we're talking about companion animals, we actually all go into it knowing there is going to come a day. We do know there's going to come a day where we have to say goodbye, but we do it anyways. The reason we do it anyways is because the love is so worth it. The love that you feel for him and from him is 10 times the heartbreak that you feel right now. It is. That's why we do it because of the love. Yeah. And we're willing to pay the price of the loss, which I know in this moment, you're, you know, sometimes when we're kind of in it, we're like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? But the love, it's all about the love that you have felt and still feel. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's been incredible. I mean, you don't, again, what's that old saying? You know, you don't know what you lose until it's gone. Yeah. But, you know, you don't, while he's here, I mean, it's just, it's, he's been just such a integral part of our lives that, you know, I can't even imagine what my life's going to be like without him being a part of it. 
Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same way that my wife feels. It's like, you know, um, she wakes up every day and, and blesses the fact that, that he has been a part of us. And, you know, she, she, you know, he's, 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 he's been baby like a real baby. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. I mean, he, he has his own little deluxe little stroller and he has beds in three different places in the room and in our, our place. And he's, you know, though we, you know, we stopped, you know, feeding him things that I thought were bad for him. We try to make sure he kept him on a good, healthy regimen. But, you know, every now and then he gets his treats and, you know, he loves his treats and, you know, he would yelp and scream when the treats were there, you know, and, and uh, though at the time when he's yelping, you know, so loud sometimes, I mean, Max could, Max could do a blood curdling scream that would literally, you know, stop people in public. Cause he sounded like there was one time that we were at my mother-in-law's house and he was running in the backyard screaming so loud that the, they called over and said, should we call the the police or should we call emergency services? Is there somebody getting hurt? Cause it sounds like a human saying, like, no, 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 that's just Maxie. That's how he, that's how he communicates. But you know, he's that kind of a guy, you know, that kind of a little doggy and um, special to the point that, you know, um, again, I mean, we've, we've traveled with him. He, he's like such the perfect traveler. He goes right under the seat in front of us and then, you know, gets in, he loves whenever he gets to a new location. So he, runs around and prances and, um, and, you know, that, that's, I'm saying things that people will say about their own pets and I get it. Um, but at the same time, it, it, and, and it's been a perfect joy to have them in our lives. And like you said, I mean, then, you know, for a couple of thoughts, I'm like, I was like, if I knew this was going to be this tough, would I have ever gone through this? Of course I would. Cause mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've appreciated every second of uh, time we've had to share with them. But now it's, you know, it's as the clock ticks. And I know that later on in the day, we're going to have to make this decision for him so he doesn't go through another light night like last night. You know, um, what advice do you give us to, to think through even that moment? I know we're going to be able to go to the animal hospital and be able to hold him through his journey. Um, but any advice for us for that period? Yeah, I mean, in... You know, it's this really, it, it is the, it's, it's the most selfless thing you can ever do. It is the act. It is the, it's the final gift you can give your, your pet when you are willing to help them relieve their suffering. And like, you know, we don't have this with people. We don't have euthanasia. And if you've Mm -hmm. ever been present for a euthanasia, you will see that it's the most beautiful experience it is it is a, a literal just slipping away to as you say his next journey it is it's it's beautiful you get to make it what you want you get to bring your love you get to you get to hold him and look in his eyes and tell him all those amazing things and you get to hold the memories and you get to bring things that are special to have around him um and he gets to be with you all who he loves more than anyone that is enough that is more than enough and what a gorgeous, beautiful way to send off someone you dearly love. Right. I can't think of a better way. You know, now how how do you feel, you know, this, this whole idea of compassion fatigue has changed over the years because I think more and more people, you know, I guess back in the fifties and earlier than that, before people really started being vocally supportive of animal rights as much as human rights, you know, it's almost like it's opened up, you know, a new 
uh, open up a, a door in the hearts of humans, you know, to make us stop and think that, you know, these animals do have feelings. I mean, I, 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 I'm going to crazy. I read an article a couple weeks ago where, you know, in Europe now, um, I guess they have now are going to ban the live boiling of shellfish because we had the misinterpretation that shellfish didn't have the ability to feel pain, but now they've recognized that they do. And so, you know, the, 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 uh, the, that whole process of cooking a shellfish that way is going to now come to an end. And I, I, I never understood that, you know, I'm, I'm a guy from, from the Maryland area and, you know, and, and they boiled them and they steamed crabs and they steamed them live. And I never figured out what difference did it make if they were alive or they were dead? Why are you doing this to this live animal? And, you know, people would say that, well, they don't feel anything, but, you know, if you're staying in the kitchen when this is done, you hear noises coming out of that basket that are not normal. Hmm. And, you know, so, I mean, I think what's happened is man is finally starting to realize that, you know, all animal life and all life on this planet um, may have the ability to feel in ways that we never thought. The planet may be, be feeling. I mean, look at what we're doing to this planet. Mm. I've said it from, you know, long before we jumped on, you know, this, you know, bandwagon of, you know, save the planet because of global warming. I've always said to people that, you know, what we got to remember is that what we are standing on is a li living, breathing entity, this thing that we call Earth, whether we want to accept that or not. And all we are is, you know, a bad skin rash um, that or a pimple. And, you know, one of these days, the, this big living, living, breathing animal that or entity that we're standing on is going to pop us. And that's what humankind, mankind needs to understand is that it's not just a rock. This rock exists because it, it consumes energy. It consumes oxygen. It consumes the same things that we as human beings consume for life. Um, so, I mean, you know, this whole representation of, compassion fatigue has changed over the years because I think we're finally starting to wake up to the fact that we're not the only thing that feels. Right. Do you feel like companies are starting to become more aware of this issue and more willing to help their employees get through this? I mean, you know, we went through the whole period of time where we've been trying to ban animal testing, though animal testing is still going on. Um, and I'm not sure if the companies and corporations that are doing that testing even spend the time trying to help their employees understand the way they feel about it. But do you think that's starting to happen now? Oh, I certainly do. Without a doubt. Yes, that has been probably one of the biggest shifts is that the biotech, the bio research community really like compassion fatigue has become something that they are now talking about. And they didn't talk about it for a really long time because I think they're, you know, animal testing is super complicated. It is, it's like, it's a complicated issue because, you know, looking for cures and treatments and tools to be able to extend life, we still don't have models that are non-animal that work as well as some of the animal models work. So it becomes very challenging still. We're not at a place yet where 
uh, animals aren't used in research. And, you know, I, I think well, everyone, yeah. Well, yeah not, not that I'm, I'm not, please, I'm not disagreeing with yeah. you, but I just want to throw out the point that, excuse me, we have hit a point now where we can do a million to 2 million, you know, uh, uh, um, computer generated um, tests, if you will, that will answer the questions in five minutes. You know what I mean? I mean, we, we can run uh, scenarios by computer and the computer AI is smart enough now that I think that man has reached that point where they could probably utilize AI as much as we're utilizing a rat or a mouse or a dog or a cat or whatever we're using in these animal testing. Mm-hmm. I think that the science is there now to be able to stop this madness. I mean, that's just me saying it. And I know I work with and have worked with some of the top researchers on the planet um, from Harvard and other places that are working on, you know, animal models when it comes to Alzheimer's or animal models when it comes to heart disease. And, you know, yeah, I, I get it. I get it that, you know, there's nothing like having that biological component. But I, I think that we've reached a point now AI-wise where we can replicate that biological component in the computer. So at some point in time, we're going to have to figure out that, you know what, though we think the pig model or the dog model is easy enough to extrapolate over to human beings, maybe it's not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we look at the last 40 years we've been doing this, 50, 60 years that we've been doing this, we haven't come up with answers. Mm-hmm. As much as we think we have, and in yeah. some ways, yeah, some of the medication has crossed over, but the answers are still not there. So are we going down the wrong rabbit hole? Right. Well, hey, I don't like it either. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. I don't like using animals in research either. But like, look at what's happened even with, you know, look what's happened even with the the COVID vaccine. How many people are like, well, I don't want to be the guinea pig. Like, right. It's like, well, humans don't want to be the guinea pig was like, and those, those models do. And here's the one thing I'll tell you, like, it would make financial sense because using animals in research is outrageously expensive, outrageously expensive. So from an economic standpoint, I have to believe that if that was possible, these companies would be saving, you know, billions of dollars if that were that if that were actually true, if they could have these computer models that can do all those same things, that's not my area of expertise. So, um, you know, I, I'm gonna, <laughs> gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, pray to know, them, but I yeah. should say also to all of my listeners that you know it's not my area of expertise either. You know, I've I've been you know pretty critical of the biotech industry and uh, you know and and what we call healthcare in America. I've been very, very critical of them. And, you know, I think in some ways, some of it's laziness. I'm sorry. I mm-hmm. can't keep my mouth shut. I mean, you know, it's lazy to be able to cut open a rat rather than, you know, push the limits of your computer, mm-hmm. push the limits of the technology that you're pushing in all of, uh, in all these other ways. So why are we being lazy when it comes to animals? Um, I think that, you know, we're going to find that, you know, again, I go back to that idea of this planet being a living, breathing entity. You know, at some point in time, you know, if you believe in a higher being, you know, that higher being is going to say, you know, these are all my children. You know, not just you, human being, all of them are my children. And how dare you think that you are better than them? I mean, you know, and, and at some point in time, I mean, because that's really what we're doing. We're basically saying that we're more important than this life. And 
Yeah, yeah, I, I love the, the idea that you know something may have helped me live longer, but I'm not sure if the research that's been done on animals has been extrapolated over to humans in the way we think it is. Mm -hmm. And here's what's actually funny about all of this is that when I first started doing the work that I do, serving you know people who work with and for animals, I was not even thinking about animal research. I was thinking about veterinary medicine, animal welfare, because those were more my background. And I very quickly got approached by the animal research community to say, hey, do you work, would you be willing to work with our community? And the first question I got asked is, what do you think about using animals in research? And I stepped back because I was like, what do I think about that? And I realized I have my own thoughts and opinions on that, but I decided that that my purpose here on the planet isn't about that that's not my um, cross to bear. That's not the mountain that I'm going to die on. I decided that what I'm here to do is to support the people. If we're still using animals in research, then I need to help support them, those people that are doing that because they're giving of themselves each and every day. And I decided what I felt about that was sort of irrelevant. I'm going to use my platform more to, I want to help support people who are in harm's way of compassion fatigue, right? Whether that is through research, whether that is through vet med, whether that is through animal welfare. I'm a vegan. Like I have very, you know, I have support and, and uh, as it relates to animal agriculture, like I have my own thoughts about all that stuff. And, and it's sort of, sometimes it becomes really challenging to separate the two. Like, wait a minute, what am I here to do? Am I here to, you know, express my opinion or am I here to support the humans that are, that are in harm's way of compassion fatigue? So it's right. complicated, <laughs> it really is. And, and, and you're doing an incredible job. I guess you, 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 you do webinars and workshops and podcasts to help talk to people about self-care and yeah. what they should be doing. And, and so let's talk a little bit about that. What are some of the examples of self-care and why is it making time for yourself as important? Yeah. I mean, I, I think like today, I, I would say to my doctor who helps us with Max this evening, you know, I hope that, you know, they have time to understand that they've done us all, not a favor, but they've done us all a blessing. And, you know, yeah. I hope that they don't think, feel badly about what they've had to do for us. Well, and that's what you will find out in talking with veterinarians. And I'll answer the question about self-care. But interestingly enough, as it relates to veterinarians, euthanasia is not a huge source of compassion fatigue for them. If you ask veterinarians, most of the time they will say that they feel they feel good about being able to provide that service. Like they're part of the veterinarian's oath is to relieve suffering. So that to them isn't really their source of compassion fatigue comes from perhaps as if it relates to euthanasia, it's more about euthanasia. If a client can't afford the care that needs to be done or the surgery, or um, there's other issues that are relating to, to euthanasia that don't, don't have to do with illness and, and, right. um, and as it relates to self-care, well, this also really is, you know, for you and your family about what you will be going through. It's like the self-care is for you too. Self-care is, is about what do I need right now when my heart feels like it's broken, when I'm feeling grief and loss, or I'm feeling sadness, or I'm feeling emotionally taxed, if I'm feeling compassion fatigue, like what do I need to be doing for myself? 
I work with, you know, the only people who get compassion fatigue, other than pet owners, of course, but people that work in helping professions. You defined your your wife as many things, but one of the ways you defined her is as a caretaker, at least for Max right now. So she's giving of herself to help another being in this situation, Max, right? So anyone who's in a helping profession or in helping service is susceptible to compassion fatigue, and it's not innate for them to also refill and rejuvenate themselves. That doesn't come naturally to them. They want to give their goodness, their love, their kindness, and their care and compassion to others. And it's not intuitive to do the same thing for themselves. So self-care ultimately is, yeah, what do I need to fill myself up after I'm pouring myself out every single day? How do I do that? Is it, you know, and there's a million different ways for self-care. Sure, could absolutely. Be. Yeah. Could be through the physical, could be through nutrition, could be through reading and relaxing, could be through music, listening to podcasts, could be through meditation, could be through um, journaling, art, so many different aspects. And it really, it does become an individual thing. Like, yeah, what works for me? Right. And I know for her over the next couple of days, she's going to have to do something to recharge and 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 keep herself from falling you know, into the abyss because, you know, I, 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 it's, it's been, you know, her 24 hour a day, yeah. you know, job uh, to, to take care of Max and then to be with them. And, you know, though I'm, I'm with them a lot and I take them out and walk them out, I do things with them, but, you know, she has been really his, his sole provider in a sense, in some ways, you know, so, you know, I'm going to try to make sure I talk to her about, you know, just, taking deep breaths and, and, you know, doing a couple of things over the next couple of days to, to help her get back out of this. But I know that in the last three, a couple of hours today and last night, we talked through this quite a bit and both of us feel very strongly that we're doing the right thing for him because, um, you know, I, I, I just, he can't, she woke up this morning and said, I'm not going to let him go through another light like, night like that. You know, I mean, his, his nights have been so bad for him that, you know, how dare we force him to do it again for us. So, um, but let's talk a little bit more about how important it is for, you know, caregivers. We, we have been talking about pets quite a bit, but I guess, you know, we could translate this into what's been happening. You know, again, now we're on the rise of, you know, this pandemic that humankind is going through with COVID, um, you know, where, you know, there. I think we've now crossed the fifteen hundred a day mark again with patients going back into hospitals. We've crossed the thousand a day with people passing in the hospital. I mean, this is a another example of compassion. You know, burnout, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like the, what the medical profession is dealing with mm -hmm. right now. I mean. I can't even imagine what it's like to be a doctor or a nurse. And especially, and I guess it's, well, it's still the same. It's like to be the only person that is then present when someone is, you know, either the dying in the COVID ward. I mean, right. and how do you just, right? How do you just leave that at work? You don't, you bring it home with you. Right. And especially if that happens every single day, yeah. which is happening every day. Right. Yes. And I mean, it's, it's insurmountable to even think about what these amazing people have been dealing with the past 20 some months. I, I mean, it, it, it really is unbelievable to think about. Um, and, and, but, yeah. but you know what, well, that's one of those things we said, it's unbelievable to think about, but it's something that our society has to face and face head on because this 
compassion burnout yeah. is is forcing some to leave the profession early. Um, we're having, you know, uh, some of these professionals who are aging out. Yeah. Um, naturally, they would have retired this year anyway. And we're going to have a void. I remember even before COVID, reading some information from, you know, the National you know, Nurses Society that, you know, by 2022, we were already going to be about 500,000 nurses in America short. Right. And that's just because, you know, we got so many kids wanting to be Internet stars rather than get into, you know, uh, 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 care. And so now when you exacerbate that with what's happened for the last two years and people are now running out of profession because they don't feel respected at all. Um, and I, I, I say that in multiple ways. I mean, you know, we look at our society and we're in a society that how dare we fight over ways to help protect our fellow man. But we're fighting over that. We're fighting. Mm -hmm. We've got people who are trying to deny the fact that COVID even exists. Stop. I just don't know how crazy this can be. And some of those same deniers are the ones who are dying like flies. It's yeah. a stop. Yeah. You know, I mean, I know. and so at, at some point, I, I was talking to a, to a friend a couple of days back and thinking about, you know, what, what we don't understand and won't even take the time to think about is that there was a time on this planet when almost half of the population on the planet died because of a plague. And, you know, now our numbers are so staggeringly high when it comes to COVID deaths. We already know that in America alone, there have been more deaths due to COVID than all of our wars combined. Yet people still flippantly throw that out and don't recognize the fact that for every one of those deaths, there was somebody who was compassionately a part of one of those lives that's now had to bear the burden of that loss. Yeah. And will do so not even understanding in some reasons why there is a loss. Right. So, and that goes on and on and on and on and on for years. And how we, we deal with that. I, I, I just, you know, as, as a, a counselor and as a person who works with that kind of fatigue, I mean, there are going to be people who are going to be fatigued from the loss that they experienced last year, two years from now. Mm -hmm. What do we say to them? As a, yeah. What do we say to them? Uh, because it feels like the one thing that we are saying to them by denying that there's a virus out there, that by denying how we can all be part of the solution versus the problem, you know, if we don't embrace being part of the solution, it's sort of like giving the middle finger to the healthcare community to be like, yeah, you know, we we don't care about, we, we don't care about you and what you're dealing with. We don't care that you had to sit bedside by bedside by bedside by bedside and watch people die that their families couldn't be around them. Like, I have a hard time. I can't make sense of that in my brain. I don't I know what I to tell okay, I, can't, I can't make sense of that at all to me because those same people that are deniers are going to be the first first ones to run into a hospital and demand help right. from somebody when they get sick. Right. And we, we noticed, you know, and I'm not picking on any individuals, but, you know, there's been groups of people who have been publicly, vocally denying this and they are passing like flies. Yeah. Some of them. Yeah. Um, who have who have taken their their pulpit to step up and tell people, oh no, there's no such thing as set the pay, and then, then then they're the ones who pass away. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the people that they said that to don't get the message. I don't understand this. It's like right. 
what do, I, I, I feel like you know in some ways we're living in the science fiction world here um and don't know how we get out of it you know um right but it's like you know mankind has evolved to a point that evolution has stopped i feel i i like you know we keep evolving into this what we we thought was going to be a smarter being and yet we're now devolving into stupidity mm -hmm. uh, yeah. which i just don't can't quite get you know i'm going to run out of time but before i do it let's talk a little bit about this 50 50s philosophy that you have and how that relates to compassion fatigue yeah, the 50-50 philosophy is, first of all, it's a philosophy about life. And the 50-50 is that life is 50-50, which means that half of the time our lives are amazing and great and we feel all the positive feels, right? We feel all the positive emotions. And then half of our life is downright awful and we feel all the negative emotions. We feel frustrated and angry and stressed and overwhelmed. And like that's a real human life because just as we're discussing right here, there's we don't have to look very far to see things in the world that we don't, first of all, feel good about. We don't feel joyful about. We don't feel happy about, as we were just discussing. So as that relates to compassion fatigue, it's sort of like our work is that way too. It's like half of it is super heart heavy. That's the compassion fatigue, the burnout, the moral stress. And half of it is amazing. That's what we call compassion satisfaction. That's the pleasure we derive from the work. Because anyone who's in a helping role, even your wife, but she derives pleasure from helping Max, right? It's like, it's equally heart heavy, but it's equally, it equally feels good to be a caretaker to him. So that in that way, like that's that piece of the antidote, if you will, to compassion fatigue is how often do we step into the good parts about it? Are we dwelling in the goodness? Are we looking for the things that we're grateful for that we appreciate? Well, you know, while we only have a couple of minutes left, um, maybe maybe that's something you could just talk a little bit more about and send a message out to those who are in the fields of 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 compassion and care, whether it be animal compassion or human compassion. I mean, you know, that whole idea of looking at the glass half full is probably uh, is ten times better than half empty, and understanding that you should take joy in knowing what you've been able to do to assist no matter it be an animal or a person or a human being like you you brought up my wife for me you know i didn't mention to you like you know i had a stroke about four years ago and um it put me in the hospital for almost 30 days my wife slept in the hospital in a on a cot beside me for the entire time being my advocate and also ensuring that i took on medication and doing the things that i needed to do she was a, the only reason why I think I survived that. I, had she not been there, I don't think I'd be here today. Um, and she's now doing the same thing for Max. I mean, you know, it's like she was there. She's there. She understood it's, it's part of her soul to be a nurturer and a giver, you know, and Nurse Nightingale. And, I mean, I think for some, and I think at the end of the day, I'm going to talk to her a little bit about appreciating the fact that that's part of her soul. Because that's what really helps to fill her up. Hmm. But maybe we should talk a little bit to those and send a message out to those people who are listening in today who work in fields and just need that boost. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh. And the fields are so like, we could never cover all the fields, but of course it's, it's the animal fields that we've already mentioned. It's the human health care. It's the teachers, it's the mental health providers, it's the child care advocates, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And all of those people who give, and we have so many, so many of us have a kind and caring and good heart, right? There's so many people on our planet that get up every day wanting to make a difference, wanting to make the world a better place and give from their soul, give from their heart and love on others, right? And all the ways that they do. Yeah. So my message to them all is, hey, guess what? Don't forget to include yourself in that equation. Don't forget to love on yourself, care on yourself, um, you know, fulfill the needs of yourself because there is no way you can be sustainable in all the work that you do when you also don't recharge yourself. And, and you have to give yourself permission to do so. You have to really, this is like almost like a, a narrative of like, you know what? It's important for me to make sure that I'm also putting myself into the equation for the day of all that I'm taking care of, all the plates that I have spinning, all that I'm caring for. Yeah. Where's a little space for myself? And, and, and it's not selfish. It's the exact opposite of selfish. It's necessary. And they need to understand. Yeah. That. Well, look, you know, yeah. some, you know Julie, we're, we're out of time for the day, but I would love to have you back at another time because there's so many things we haven't discussed. And I wanted to talk to you about like the PERMA, you know, uh, 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 philosophy and, and things like that. So, you know, um, could you maybe schedule us? Uh, uh, we'll reschedule and have you back again. Absolutely. I would love to. <laughs> yeah, I would love to have a carry on a conversation and continue on and maybe, you know, help you uh, or at least share with you how we've transitioned and gotten through. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I can't say thank you enough for your kind words today for our family. Um, it meant a lot to both of us. My wife is, is giving you the thank you so much off screen, but, you know, uh, it meant so much to us both. Thank you. Well, I'm I'm holding your entire family in my heart today. I, I for sure am. And uh, I'm, I'm here supporting you from afar. Thank you so much. Look, you have a great day. You stay safe. You stay well. Keep doing what you're doing. We need people like you every day. And so, um, and again, you always have a home here at Free Thinking with Montel. And we're going to reach out to you and see if we can get you back, okay? Thanks so much, Montel. Yes, ma'am. Have a great day. You and too. make sure you tune in to the next Free Thinking with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Free Thinking with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback, so please send us your comments.